0: Right, thank you for that. Appreciate that. What a good song! And uh, sometimes we think of that song as a kid's song, and uh, and you know what? It's just as much for us as it is for any kid. Uh, and the, the truth of it has not changed. And listen, sometimes uh, you know people really they just want to know that somebody loves them and cares about them. And the truth of the matter is, Jesus cares about us and He loves us. And uh, and so that is a blessing. Uh, an encouragement just to remember those uh, words of those songs. And there's a lot of truth to that song. Uh, He's prepared a place for me. I did, never sung that verse. Uh, I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are lots of verses that people. It's a, uh, a nice, easy little tune to probably jot words down. And I'm sure there have been many different verses written throughout the years. Uh, but a good song. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter number 24. We've been going through a series. Um, that I've, I've kind of rebranded, if I could say it that way, I've changed the title to Strengthening the Inner Man. Uh, Strengthening the Inner Man, and of course, uh, it's based off of the verse in Ephesians 3.16, uh, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. And uh, boy, how we need strengthened within, uh, within ourselves within to in our inner man uh, I was thinking today I, I don't know I was thinking not today but this week rather that uh, I, I don't want us just to be uh, a member of uh, Anchor Baptist Church or I don't want us just to be a Christian uh, on Sunday Well, I'm a Christian because I go to church on Sunday and this and that I want us to uh, actually be part of our being who we are Um, And there's a big difference a a member of the church might show up a member of an organization may show up and they might be there for a short time and they might be go go away Uh, but somebody who is uh, it it is part of them they're involved it is it is who they are and not just a a member to an organization and the same thing with Christianity sometimes I think we treat Christianity like well I'm a I'm a Christian on Sunday because I go to a Christian church but I want us to be Christian, not just belong to a Christian organization. And, uh, and I hope that's clear. I hope that's understood uh, because there is a subtle difference there that's, well, not even subtle, but uh, important difference, really, uh, in those things. And so as we look at this idea, in Acts chapter 24, Paul is, uh, is brought before the governor and he is being charged with insurrection and uh, with all kinds of problems matter of fact in verse number five we're not going to read the beginning of that for time's sake but in the in verse number five uh, Tertullius the, gov- the the lawyer that is uh, bringing all the charges against the Apostle Paul calls him a pestilent ringleader that is causing riots that's uh, pretty much the words that he uses and uh, and I found that very interesting and this happened over, uh, really over a 1,000 years ago, almost 2,000 years ago if we think about it. And, uh, and today, listen, things haven't changed much. Uh, they are still persecuting Christians. Why did, they, why did they haul Paul in? They hauled Paul in simply because he was preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's not what they said. Uh, they, they're going to twist all the words and change it around and make it sound like, Uh, This guy is is, uh, trying to destroy the society of the day. But in all reality, all that Paul was doing, if you go back and by all accounts read what was happening, he was preaching the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus died on the cross, was buried rose again, and that he wanted to save those people. And, uh, of course, that did not set well with the Jewish people. It did not set well with the Gentile people. Uh, many people who had their uh, religion and things like that, uh, they were all set, and, and it was causing severe problems in the town for those people, and they said, man, we don't like this. And, and they started to uh, cause problems and want to overthrow and even kill Paul. And so they've brought them before the governor. They've given all kinds of accusations. Uh, And as I was saying, listen, that's, boy, that's happening today. Um, I mean, I remember over the past, I'd say five to ten years, uh, you can bring up lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit where they have dragged Christians in because of their religious beliefs. uh, And that's, that's all it is. Uh, the bottom line is because of their religious beliefs, they've brought them into the court systems, sued them, shut down their businesses many times, and, uh, and sadly, it's not getting better. Uh, and so uh, this is kind of the same thing that is going on today. Look with me at verse number 10, and we'll see what Paul answers in, in reply to these um, <clears throat> charges that are brought against him. Verse number 10, Acts 24.10, the Bible says, Then Paul... After the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, For as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer uh, for myself. Paul just said, I don't need a lawyer. I'll represent myself. That's what he said in verse 10. Because that thou mayest understand, verse number 11, because that thou mayest understand that there are yet but 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship. "...and they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues, nor in the city, neither can they prove that the things whereof they now accuse me. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets." and have hope towards God, that which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and of the unjust. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. And this morning, I want us to focus on that last verse. As Paul is declaring himself innocent, he said, I was not disputing. I was not raising up riots. I was merely there to worship, and that's what he was doing. And he was worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he confesses, he said, I will say this, that I do believe in God. I do believe in the law. I do believe in the Old Testament prophets. And I do believe that there is a resurrection of the dead. He was speaking, of course, of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. And then he goes on to clarify and say, hey, there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. And you'll remember in the time uh, that that there was a time or two that Paul used that because there was a sect of the Pharisees and uh, another sect, I think the Sadducees, or maybe I got those two confused. One of them believed in the resurrection of the dead and the others did not. And so there was that question even within their own religion, even within their own uh, um, group of people uh, that disputed those things. And Paul is simply saying, hey, I believe there is a resurrection and I believe that there is coming a resurrection for the just and for the unjust, that all people will be resurrected. And, of course, he is uh, uh, indicating, of course, the judgment of God at the end of time. But then he says in verse number 16, where we're going to focus, he says, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men, Man. men. So we're looking at this idea and we're thinking about strengthening the inner man. And uh, and the idea that's brought out in this verse is, of course, the word conscience. Uh, and, and as I look at that and I think about that, Paul was proclaiming, hey, my best defense is a clear conscience. I, he understood, hey, they're going to lie about you. They're going to slander your character. They're going to bring up things that are not true. And they did. And they did accuse him of causing riots. And they did accuse him of this and that. And, and, and that was not, of course, what Paul was doing. Uh, but he was more concerned that he would have a good conscience before God and before men, even more so than to defend himself. And so that's kind of what he was saying. He's saying my best defense is a clear conscience. Listen, a clear conscience today is still the best defense against any slander, any gossip, any kind of problem that is brought against you. And what I'm saying is uh, you and me, we need to do right always. There was an old time preacher and he said, do right till the stars fall. Uh, Boy, we need to stick with that. Uh, That is wise advice. And I know we live in a day and an age when people believe to get ahead, you have to step on people. In order to get ahead, you have to do this and you have to do that. And and, and you have to uh, pull strings and, and play dirty, if I can say it that way. Listen, the Bible would advocate that we live right no matter what. I was listening on Friday. We went to, there was a young, young couples activity and, and we were sitting there and we were talking and I found it very interesting as uh, one of the fellows was counting his uh, just job situation and, uh, and he was promoted and, and, and stuff and, and, and before he had ever been promoted, he was telling me about a time when uh, he was a salesman and as he was, he was working on sales and, and as he was doing that, uh, he scored a huge contract and and his boss for all practical purposes swept in took the sale took all the credit for the sale and ultimately went on and 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 garnered all the commission and all the credit and all of that and uh and and he wasn't even for the sale in the beginning and so the salesman just well let it go and and uh, said, you know, hey, it's, you know, what, there's not much I can do. I'm, I'm under him, and there's, there's really, that's my boss. And so he just did right. He just kept doing his work and doing what he was supposed to do and working and, and doing all the things. And then, uh, and then years later, that came back to benefit him because there were people who knew what took place. There were people who watched what took place. And in the end, they, they, they were like, hey, this position's up for promotion, and... And, uh, and and most everyone was like pointing towards him. He's the guy he needs to be promoted. And you know what? He got promoted. And uh, and what I'm saying is, if you do right, I know other people will not do right. I know in the secular workplace where you work, there will be wrong done against you. I know that. I'm aware of that. Because we live in a perverse and crooked world. But my dad always said this uh, to Two wrongs don't make a right. And it's never wrong, or it's never right to do wrong to do right. We need to make sure that we have a good conscience before God and before men. And we need to make sure that we are doing right at all times. And Paul here is indicating, he's saying, listen, uh, that I would have a, a pure conscience before God. And as we look at this idea of, of strengthening the inner man, uh, let's, let's take and do this. We need to define the conscience, the conscience defined. What is the conscience? I was kind of surprised, to be honest with you. Uh, I looked up the word conscience in the Bible, and, uh, and I really did not know that it, it showed up some 30 times in Scripture, the word conscience did. Uh, And I was not aware of that. And looking over that, uh, we're going to look at a few of those as we define the conscience this morning. But one thing, the dictionary definition that we'll use is internal or self-knowledge or judgment of right and wrong, called by some a moral sense. And so all of us have within us a conscience, and uh, and what Paul was saying in his defense, as he was being uh, hauled before the governor and before the judge and being accused of things that he did not do, uh, he said, "My most important thing is that I would have a good conscience, a clean conscience before God and man." Now, what is the conscience? Uh, well, the conscience is within us; it is our moral sense. And, uh, and we, uh, we're we going through the book of Romans and, uh, and we've learned in the book of Romans, Paul brings this out, that every person has a moral sense within themselves. Matter of fact, that's one of the places it shows up. I think it's in chapter 2, long of, long of verse, um, I don't know, 17 or, or maybe 15, somewhere in there. Uh, the word conscience shows up and that, the, that people have some kind of moral sense about them. Now, it's not as keen or Uh, pure, if I could say it that way, as what God would have in his word. But we all have within us some form of sense to guide what is right and what is wrong. And, uh, And for a Christian, it's even more stronger because, listen, the word of God and the Holy Spirit work within our conscience to help us to do right. And, uh, and we need to understand that. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12, uh, turn over there with me, save your spot in Acts chapter 24, as we'll be back here. And This is our text, but we are going to wander around a little bit this morning and look at some of these ideas. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. I want you to see this verse because it's just so so good. It does not have the word conscience in it, but it sure does bring the whole idea of where the conscience sets in our being. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. The Bible says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So we know that the word of God is quick, it's powerful, and it's sharp. It's a very uh, important book. The word of God, let me just say this. The Word of God is not like any book that is in the library. There are thousands of volumes that have been written over the years, and you probably studied them in literature and history and and things like that. And and if you were like me, I did not enjoy studying literature. I I just didn't enjoy reading, to be honest with you. Uh, But but the Bible is, is so separate of a category from all those other things that have been written by man because it's inspired by God. That's a big difference. When God writes a book, uh, he doesn't mess around and he has truths that are eternal. When man writes a book, uh, they might be good for that day and age. They might be good for that time. But God's book is always good. You know, this book that you hold in your hand is is well over. Well, it was assembled. Uh, it was all put together in one uh almost 2,000 years ago. I guess less than 2,000, maybe 1,800 years ago. That's. Kind of old, to be honest with you. Um, and it goes further back than that because the bulk of it, the majority of it, half of it, goes back some 4,000 years or more uh, to the Old Testament that, that was all put together. And the Jews kept good track of that. And, uh, and what I'm saying is all of it is still relevant in 2020. So the word of God, uh, 2021, I lost a year there. I think all of us lost a year there. Um, but, uh, but it's still relevant today. And so this verse says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now listen to what it does. It says, Piercing even the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, you look at that and think about that for a little bit. That's in there. That is deep. Uh, can, I mean, you can, you can, we can see our flesh. I mean, it's visible. You can touch it. It's here. Uh, everyone grab your ear and give it a little shake. You know, that's your flesh. That's, it, it's physical. You know where it's at. Can you tell me where your spirit's at? Well, it's somewhere within there. I've never seen it, but I know it's in there. You tell me where your soul is at? Well, it's in there. I don't know where it's at. I can't say that I've necessarily seen it or uh, ha- view or, or had any kind of appearance of it, and, uh, and but I know it's in there. Well, the Bible says that the word of God is able to divide between the spirit and the soul. It's able to discern between the in- thoughts of the mind and the intents of the heart. Now, that's that's... Deep in there. And that's the value of the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit takes the truths of the Word of God and pricks our hearts and says, Listen, this is something that you should not be doing. And if you're saved and you're born again, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, It's more than just a conscience. Uh, And it's uh, it's like a sharpening of the conscience, if I could say it that way. It's like the conscience becoming even more aware of what is right and what is wrong. And that is brought about by the Holy Spirit. That is His job, and He indwells you. He lives within you. If you've been saved and born again, the Holy Spirit moved into your life. And He took up residence in your heart. And, uh, and he's there to help guide you and to help you understand what is right. Part of his job, I don't want to just say that his job is just to say what is right and what is wrong. Because his job is so much more than that. But there's no doubt that that is uh, very, very much so part of his job. Is to convict us and show us what is right and what is wrong. And, uh, and no saved person uh, can live with a good, clean conscience doing right we'll talk about a a defiled conscience later but uh, understand this you can't have a good clean conscience and know you're right with God uh, or or, um, and live in sin that's just not possible Uh, and so uh, understand that the Holy Spirit reminds us and he pricks us and tells us when we are wrong and when we need to get things right Paul here in our our text that we were at uh, let's go back there real quick he gives us a good example Acts chapter 24 and verse 16. Paul gives us a great example here. And he says this, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void that would be without offense toward God and toward men. And Paul gives us a wonderful example. Listen, we should all strive to have a clean conscience before God. And listen, coming to church every Sunday is a good reminder. Well, here's some things that God says that, oh, man, I need to, you know, I I need to be reminded of those things. Setting under preaching is a good reminder because, you know what, we cover things in the Bible. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, I read it. I try to read. And listen, I encourage you to read the Bible. Uh, You ought to read the Bible. It's good. Uh, and, and listen, as you read the Bible, that will certainly the Holy Spirit will sometimes prick your heart there. But there's times when a preacher will cover things that uh, I might read over that passage and totally not see that. And uh, and so you know, hey, both reading the Bible and coming to church, all of that will help guide and sharpen our conscience and allow the Holy Spirit uh, to to touch our lives so that we can say, man. I want to have a good conscience before God. And listen, God goes with us every day of the week. It's not just Sunday. It's, it's every day that God is active and should be involved in our life. So Paul is saying, listen, I want to have a good conscience before God. Look with me in, in Acts 23, just back one, one page maybe, verse number 1. He says in Acts 23, 1, and Paul... Earnestly beholding the council, said, "Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day." In other words, what Paul was saying uh, is is let me clarify that. Let me say this: Paul, this was not perfection. If you read the life of Paul, you know he was not a perfect man. Now, Paul was. I believe, one of the greatest apostles. I love the life of the Apostle Paul. It's incredible, really, to read about him, his zeal for the Lord and his knowledge and, and all of that. But Paul was not perfect. Matter of fact, you'll remember way back in the beginning of the book of Acts, he went through uh, grabbing men and women and throwing them into prison. Christians. He was looking for them. Uh, he was there at the death of Stephen, the martyr, uh, one of the, the, the deacons of the church uh, who was a very godly man. And uh, and you'll remember he later said uh, I was there when they when they stoned Stephen and and they laid their their coats at my feet and uh, and he said man I'll watch your coats you go kill that Christian that's Paul uh, so he was not a perfect person You get a clean conscience you get a clean conscience by confessing that stuff and leaving it to God and understanding hey that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin that's the only way to have a clean conscience. You can't have a clean conscience in and of yourself. It's not possible. Because we're all sinners. We know that. The Bible tells us that. It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So every one of us have sin in our life. And therefore, automatically, there's no good way to have a clean conscience with God. Because we're already loaded down with guilt. We're already uh, carrying uh, that burden of sin around in our life. And listen, only Jesus Christ can take all that sin and wash it away. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that he, he casts it as far as the east is from the west. That's infinitely gone. You can't find a line uh, between the east and the west. There is no division. You know, if you travel west, you can continue traveling west for eternity and never stop. Do you know that? If you travel north, you're going to hit a spot where eventually you're going to go south. You're going to go north and you can find the actual point. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. Well, that's infinitely away. There's no dividing line that says, hey, this is the final point. You are now heading east. No, you're always heading west. If you're going around the world, you can circle it a thousand times and still be going west. And so our sin has been removed from us. Uh, thank God for the salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he enables us to have a clean conscience. Now, the devil will keep dragging that stuff back up and saying, well, here, here you go, this is, this is wrong. You just tell him, listen, uh, I've, already got, I've already got that right with God. And I've got forgiveness from God. And Jesus Christ is my advocate. He's my lawyer between God and I. And he's the one that has forgiven me of my sins. And I can have a clean Conscience, a good conscience. And Paul is saying here in verse 23 that he wanted to have a, a good conscience, that he's lived in good conscience. In other words, hey, even if he did mess up, even if he did sin, he got it right, right away with God. He said, man, I messed up. I've done wrong. And you can see Paul, he, he didn't do everything right. Uh, so, so a good conscience is not perfection. Do not think that it is. Do not equate a good and a clean conscience with perfection because it's not. But it is keeping short accounts with God when the Holy Spirit pricks your heart. And when the Holy Spirit says, hey, you're wrong in this area, get it right with God. You don't have to wait. Now, This might come as a surprise. You don't have to wait till Sunday to the altar call. You don't have to do that. Hey, that day, that very moment when the Holy Spirit, matter of fact, that is the best time to do it because he's working on your heart right then and there and just stop and pause wherever you're at and whisper a prayer, God, forgive me, I was wrong. And I see that and I shouldn't have done that and keep a short account with God so that you can have a good conscience. I'm telling you, there is nothing better than having a good conscience between you and God. And Paul was claiming, hey, he had a good conscience. He encouraged Timothy uh, to serve with a, uh, with a pure conscience. And uh, he says uh, in, in 1 Timothy, you don't have to turn there for sake of time, but 1 Timothy 1.18 and 19, he says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith, And a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. In other words, he's saying, hey, to Timothy, make sure you keep a good conscience before God. And what an important point it is to make sure that our conscience is right with God. Somebody said this, there's no softer pillow than a good conscience. And that's true. You you go to bed, you pillow your head at night and you say, man, I know everything's right and between me and God. I was going to say in the world, but it's not all right in the world. It's a mess. But you know what? Between at least you and God, you know, and I'm clear. And everything's good. And I can go to bed. Sin is a grievous burden. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 1, we won't go there. And, uh, it says, uh, uh, lay aside every, every sin with ju- which doth so easily beset us. And, uh, and maybe we need to set those things aside because it is a burden. It will slow your life down, and, it will n- and you will not have a clean or a good conscience before God. Turn with me to Titus chapter 1, and let's look at the defiled conscience. Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, if you go to Hebrews, just go back a couple pages. Philemon is there, and then Titus. Philemon, you'll skip over. You won't even see it. It's probably not even a one page in your Bible. So Titus chapter 1, verse number 15, and we'll see the defiled conscience. So we've We've, we've looked at the good conscience. Now let's look at a defiled conscience real quick. The Bible says here in in Titus chapter 1 and verse number 15, It says unto the pure, all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. So he calls here a defiled conscience. Uh, a conscience, uh, mind and conscience is defiled. The word defiled means made dirty or foul, polluted or corrupted. Um, I remember uh, seeing I've been on, I, Lord has blessed me with the privilege to be able to be in some waters. I was in a sea uh, that were, I mean, clear. I could not believe it. I've been, I grew up on lakes. I grew up on rivers. I've grown up. You know, with lots of water and uh, canoeing and, and things of that nature and, and spent a lot of time in the lakes. And, uh, and I was out on a sea and I'm telling you, uh, you looked down and it was, I don't know if it was 20 foot deep or 30 foot deep. It, you could see every single thing on the bottom. I couldn't believe it. I was blown out of my mind. I've been in lakes that you couldn't see two foot. You couldn't even see a foot. You stick your hand in, it disappears. You're like, something brushes your leg, you kind of get a little nervous because you're like, man, I don't know what's there. Something just brushed my leg. And, uh, and that, that's the kind of water I, I've grown up around. But, but uh, man, water that's crystal clear. Listen, uh, that crystal clear allows you to see very clearly everything that is there. But if you take a little bit of mud and you throw it in there, you know what happens? That water gets cloudy. That's like our conscience. When our conscience becomes polluted, when it becomes defiled, when it becomes uh, full of sin, it it clouds the view and does not allow you uh, to determine what is right and what is wrong very clearly. Because remember, the, the conscience is our moral sense. It is to determine what is right and what is wrong. And when our conscience becomes defiled, it's like it has been polluted, it's been fouled up, it's been uh, things become very unclear in our life, and we are no longer accurately able to determine what is right and what is wrong. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul, has been telling Timothy before this in the book of Timothy that we looked at, he said, hey, make sure you have a good conscience. Paul was saying in the book of Acts in chapter 23 and 24, hey, I I make sure that I have a good conscience before God. I want to make sure that I know and understand uh, that I'm right with God in my life. So a defiled conscience would be one that is corrupted. Or one that is polluted or fouled up. And it, 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 it causes you uh, to have problems to be able to determine what is right and what is wrong. I've seen it many times in Christian lives that people, when, they, they, when they, people tend to drift away from the Lord Jesus Christ. What happens there? Well, they start out with a good, clean conscience. They start out living right for the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happens is uh, they allow sin in their life when maybe they're tempted, maybe some other thing. And, and listen, we all, we all do that. Every one of us will take that first step. But the difference between a clean conscience says, well, I want to get that right. I want to get that cleared up and I want to get back to God. But a defiled conscience will just say, well, you know, it is what it is. You know, I'm imperfect. Um, a lot of people, a lot of Christians today will say, well, we got grace. And they'll misuse and misapply the term grace uh, to mean, well, we can slide a little further away from God and we can slide a little further away from God and and it's okay. And what is is taking place is their conscience is being polluted and their decision-making on what is right and what is wrong becomes uh, even more gummed up and they're unable to determine what is right and what is wrong because they've allowed that defilement to take place. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. So we have a good conscience that Paul advocated we ought to have. We have a defiled conscience in Titus 1, 15 and 16. And I encourage you to write them down. Go back and look at them. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. And we'll look at an evil conscience. Hebrews chapter number 10 and verse 22. Hebrews 10, 22, it says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And so here we have uh, an evil conscience. The Bible says, Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. In other words, that our conscience would be evil. A, de, a, a defiled conscience would be the allowance, the occasional allowance of sin in our life uh, that, that would cause our judgment to become clouded. But an evil conscience uh, would be something that's a little bit worse, per se, if I could say it that way. And it would be something that uh, uh, would be a habitual allowance of sin, evil conscience. Turn with me to 2 Peter, just back a few, uh, after Hebrews is James and then 1 Peter and then 2 Peter, chapter 2 and verse number 7. And let's look at the life of uh, of Lot for a moment. Lot is an example uh, of perhaps an evil conscience. The Bible says here in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 7, it says, and delivered just Lot vexed with his filthy conversation of the wicked. Let me stop real quick and let me bring you up to speed on the life of Lot. Now, you probably know who Lot is, but it maybe some of you do not. Lot was an Old Testament character. He was actually uh, the, the nephew, if I'm not mistaken, of Abraham. And Abraham, when he left, uh, he was going to the promised land that God said, hey, I will show you, get up and go. And so he was going and, and, uh, and Lot went with him, which... Uh, I don't think he was supposed to go, but that's neither here nor there. He's with him. And uh, the herdmen of Lot uh, started to get into quarrel with Abraham's herdmen. you got to remember in, the, in these days, uh, the idea was not your bank account. Matter of fact, they didn't have banks. Uh, your bank account was how many sheep you had in your herd and how many cattle. That was your bank account. And so uh, they had, Abraham was blessed of God and had a lot of herds. He had a lot of cattle. He had a lot of Uh, Sheep. He had a lot of goats. He had a lot of animals, livestock. And uh, and Lot had a lot of livestock as well. And as they went through, uh, it started to become a problem because, listen, you know, uh, livestock, they have to eat something. They didn't just go down to the feed store and buy a couple 50-pound sacks of grain to throw in the trough and feed the animals. Uh, they would free-range them. So uh, there was a problem with the land. And so uh, eventually, uh, there became this dispute. And Abraham told Lot, he said, Listen, Lot, because we have this dispute and because we have this problem, I don't want there to be a problem between us. He said, You pick what you want. And the Bible says that Lot had, uh, had pointed his tent towards Sodom. And he was looking towards Sodom. And the Bible says that Sodom was a a well-watered area. It was very green. And so Lot's thinking, that's what I want. All those green fields and all that place for my animals, my livestock to be able to feed. And so Lot is looking towards Sodom. We find... In Genesis and then uh, several chapters later we, we kind of everything kind of disappears and the Bible deals with Abraham and Sarah and their travels and everything and then several chapters later lot pops back up in Scripture and it says hey all of a sudden lot is no longer with his, his tent pitched towards Sodom he is now living inside of Sodom, Sodom was Sodom and Gomorrah. It was the place that God destroyed because of the wickedness that was taking place in, in the, in the uh, cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so it was a wicked place, and Sodom was living, or excuse me, Lot was living right inside of Sodom and Gomorrah. Not only that, but he had become a leader in Sodom and Gomorrah. And the people actually looked up to him. And you remember the story how God sent his angel down to, to Lot and said, Lot, you've got to get out of Sodom and Gomorrah. God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Lot, uh, he says, well, listen, um, you know, okay, finally he's, st- he's stalling and stalling. And finally he says, okay, let's go. And he tells his, his sons, uh, his son-in-laws and his daughters, Uh, He says, hey, you know what? The Lord is going to destroy this place. We've got to get out of here. You go back and read it. Uh, His life was so wicked. His life was so bad. His conscience was so evil that his his own family laughed at him and said, you're religious? We didn't even know you went to church. We didn't even know you owned a Bible. We didn't even know you knew who God was. And they laughed at him and did not believe him. And matter of fact, the Bible says that Lot left out of there with only his two daughters that were at home and his wife. And his wife, even on her way out, turned and looked back towards Sodom when God had strictly said, do not look back. And she turned to a pillar of salt and was gone, died right then and there. And Lot left out. He lost everything that he had. If you read the Old Testament story of Lot, you would be very prone to believe, I would be very prone to believe Lot was a lost man. There's nothing in the Old Testament that leads me to believe that Lot was really saved other than the fact that God sent his angel there. But if you were to look at his life, if you lived in Lot's day and you were Lot's neighbor, uh, or you, you let's not even say you lived in Sodom. Let's say that maybe you uh, occasionally traveled into uh, Sodom because you had business to do, and then you left and you knew it was a wicked place. You would never in your right mind look at the life of Lot and say, that guy's a saved fella, because his life did not demonstrate that at all. His life demonstrated a wicked life, but yet here in Peter, Second Peter chapter 2 and verse number 7, the Bible says, And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. And an evil conscience would be one that is vexed. It's a habitual sin uh, that does not allow you to live right or do right in your life because you have, you have, uh, you have essentially shut off God in your life. And I, I, maybe I have a hard time distinguishing between an evil conscience and a seared conscience, but the Bible does say a seared conscience as well in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. You can kind of jot that down. We'll not look at it for time's sake. Uh, but I'm just saying there's a good conscience that's clean and right with God, and you know you're right with God. I'm not saying you're perfect, but you're right with God. Up to now, you know everything's good and everything's great with God, between you and God, that's the best way to live. And then there's a defiled conscience where, uh, man, you have sin in your life, you know you have sin in your life, God has pricked your heart about that sin, uh, but you have to get it right with God, and that's a defiled conscience. And then there's an evil conscience where, uh, man, you just live in wickedness, in habitual sin on a regular basis, and a seared conscience, and the Bible would lead us to believe, hey, uh, that that... Here's maybe a a little bit of a difference. The Bible says in Romans chapter 132, it gives us a whole list of sins. And then at the end of that passage, it says, and they have pleasure in them that do them. They take pleasure in that sin. There's some stuff I don't understand uh, how people could take pleasure. Going through the book of Proverbs on Wednesday nights and and, and those who uh, take advantage of other people and Steal and even kill and and have no remorse or no regret and and would even take pleasure in doing those things. That just goes, it blows my mind. I can't fathom that. But I would think that that's probably a seared conscience where you have shut God off in your life and you take advantage or you take pleasure rather in going against things that God has written. And so uh, that's the conscience that defined. Let's go back, and in the next two minutes, I want to give you two things from Acts 24 and verse 16. Just two things that we need to work on. The Bible says in Acts 2, 24, 16, And herein do I exercise myself. Paul says this, he develops a good conscience. You know, exercise requires a goal you have to say i need to work on if you just say i'm going to exercise and you have no goal you're probably never going to make it you're not going to exercise um you have to say well i'm going to exercise and here's my goal i'm going to do 30 minutes of exercise three times a week or i'm going to uh walk or i'm going to maybe if you're a runner you say man i want to run a 5k in in a certain amount of time if you're a weightlifter i want to work lift a certain amount of weight uh or, or whatever it is or maybe it's a diet thing Well, I want to hit this goal so I'm going to exercise so that I can hit this goal And, and it's a goal oriented and listen, in our Christian life, Paul was saying this he said, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God in our Christian life, one of our strengthening the inner man, strengthening the spiritual man we need to exercise and have a goal of saying, you know what I want to have a good conscience before God. That's my goal. And we need to exercise. We need to work on that. It's not going to come automatic. Uh, exercise requires discipline. Uh, and, and we could go through uh, many examples. You know, you watch these NFL players, the Major League Baseball is, is the sport right now, the NBA. And, and you think about all these Olympians. Can I tell you a secret about every one of their lives? They're not there by accident. They weren't born just bouncing a basketball when they come out. Man, this guy, he can, he can dribble, he can shoot, he can do all that. He—he He's just automatic. I mean, he never, he just lounges around all day. But man, you throw a basketball on him, he hits the courts and he's incredible. Or same thing about baseball or same thing about any of these Olympian athletes. They have worked, every one of them would be offended if you thought they just were automatic they have dedicated an enormous amount of time, money, and energy into developing those skills far beyond what you and I could even imagine. I mean, they, they, they have poured their life into that sport. And that's where they're at. They love it. They, they desire it. As Christians, listen, uh, we, exercise requires discipline. And if we're going, the reason the Apostle Paul was such a wonderful apostle and one of, in my opinion, one of the most upstanding, incredible apostles is because of his dedication and his goals to exercising a good conscience before God and saying, you know what, I want to live right before God no matter the cost. And he paid the price and he dedicated himself to God. So he developed a good conscience and then a good conscience displayed you'll notice he said a good conscience before god and man if your goal is to please men you may not please god but if your goal is to please god it really doesn't matter what men think by and large you'll have a good you won't wrong man if If you're trying to please God with your life and you're trying to have a good conscience before God, it will cause you, because the word of God says, love thy neighbor as thyself. It will cause you to treat people correctly because you can't have a good conscience before God and treat people incorrectly. It's not possible. And so he worded it very well saying, having a good conscience, void of offense before God and secondly, before men. In other words, I strive to live right before God and before man as we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed a good conscience strengthening the inner man i hope you have a good conscience before god this morning father we thank you for your word thank you father for the truths contained in it god i pray that you would speak to each and every heart this morning well thank you for that in jesus name i pray Amen. As we just have a short hymn of invitation, I'm aware of the time. But I want you to have a good conscience before God. It doesn't take long just to sit, whisper a prayer to the Lord. Clear your conscience before God. And walk out of here, head held high, knowing you're right with God. There's no better feeling. I'm telling you to make the rest of your day go better have a good conscience before God.